Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. I want us to get into the message if we can tonight. And I want to speak to you if you brought your Bible. We're going to do a little Bible study tonight and teaching and some preaching. And this is what the Holy Spirit had been speaking to me. Uh, He is speaking a lot of things. I've got about 10 messages that I'm working on. Um, I have a note here, a note there, just notes everywhere. And sometimes you don't know, God, are you taking me down this path? Are you taking me? That's why you need to be led by the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says that many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so when you are led by the Spirit of God, sometimes God will take you into the Old Testament, sometimes he'll take you into the New Testament, sometimes he'll just visit you in your dreams, and he'll just speak a word into your spirit, and you'll begin to uh, outline what he's saying. There's a difference for me in studying for a message and my devotion time. A lot of time, my devotion time may be in one arena, one aspect of what God is doing, and he's speaking to me. He speaks to me when I'm up walking around, when I'm sitting on the patio drinking a cup of coffee. The Holy Spirit can speak to me. If you open your heart to him, he will speak. How many believe he's always speaking? He's always saying something, and we have to have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to us. But when God's speaking to me in my devotion time, it's my intimate time with Him and the things that I'm writing down or jotting down or just hearing God just meditate in my spirit. And then there are times where I'm just studying, studying in a, in a thematic way and then asking God you know, to speak to us. Uh, uh, and what is He saying to us right now in this particular season for the church? And our church has always been a church of service. There'd be so many people that have come through, pastors and evangelists and gifted uh, prophets and apostles, who have all, almost every one of them, always had a positive word and reminded us of how wonderful it was to be in our house because they said there's a spirit of excellence here as well as a spirit of hospitality that our people are a serving bunch of people. We don't have to uh, pull teeth to get people to serve. We don't have to beg. We just ask and the servers respond. And you know, it's important that you remember service is something that Jesus not only talked about, but he modeled it. It's one thing for somebody to talk about it. It's another thing to ask someone to live it. And we sometimes have a lot of talk, but not enough walk. Now, I wouldn't say that's here all all the time. I would dare say that there is a core group in the church that is probably holding holding it down. My Lord, during COVID, there was a core group of church and everybody, but that is holding it down and keeping things moving. And it takes that. How many know in your own house, it takes that? Somebody's got to hold it down. You know, who does the laundry in your house? (laughs) Who mows the yard in your house? Are you with me? Who does the cooking? Who does the washing? Who does the, you know, the cleans the dishes? Who builds the furniture? Who cleans the windows? Who scrubs the toilets? Am I getting anywhere? How many know somebody's holding it down? And if nobody holds it down, how many know that there's no rolls on the toilet paper left if nobody holds it down? There's no no detergent for your washing machine if someone didn't buy it and hold it down. There's no uh, palm olive at 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 the sink if nobody's holding it down. Somebody had to hold it down. Are you with me? So that means that you are in a mode of service. Now, how many know you don't always feel like serving? Some days you just be like, oh, I just want to lay here. Don't nobody talk to me. Back in the day, if you were talking to nobody before cell phones, you took your phone off the hook. <laughs> how many remember what I'm talking about? And you could hear it go beep, 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 beep. And it was reminding you your phone was off the hook. But you was willing to contend with that so that nobody could bother you. And there are some people that just don't want to be bothered. Hmm. There are some people that don't want to be bothered in the things of the Lord. 
Oh, you're a preaching bunch. Go with me to Philippians, if you will. We were in Philippians on Sunday as we begin to talk about vulnerability, how it's not comfortable being vulnerable. I was so thankful for what God did in our service that morning and the response in the altar and those that committed their life to Christ. We journey together in faith. Wednesday nights are a powerful night. Someone told me not long ago that it's like your favorite night. Because it's, it's just like we get into the word and we just, you just never know what's going to happen. But Philippians, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi is so powerful, I'm, I wanted to visit again. But the thought that I want to leave with you tonight is serve is what I do. It's what I do. Paul says to the church in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, reading from the King James Version. Let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Christ Jesus. He's talking about mind. So there's thought process, comprehension, thinking going on. <clears throat> and then he talks about his stature, who he is. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Let's read that verse again who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. In other words, he probably didn't have an Instagram account. He wasn't taking selfies. But made himself of no reputation. He was flying under the radar and took upon him the form of a servant. Well, verse 6 said he was... In the form of who? God. And then by the time you get to verse 7, he's taken on another form. He's taking on the form of a servant. And he was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, this is a powerful passage, and I hope you have your Bible with there and your notes open. But I want us to say our mission statement tonight because I want you to consider the reason we do what we do balanced out of Philippians 2. First of all, say it with me, if you will, to bring people to Jesus and membership in his family develop them to Christ-like maturity and equip them for their ministry in the church and life mission in the world in order to magnify God's name. <clears throat> now, excuse me. In that particular statement, there are five words that stand out. I've made it very easy for you to see those five words that stand out in our mission statement. But each of these words... Take us to a place of purpose. Why do we do what we do in this house? These key words represent five specific purposes that we believe here at BFWC are important. First of all, I want to take you into fivefold purpose and let you see some of that. We start with magnify, which is where we celebrate. God's presence in worship. What were we doing tonight when we kicked off the service at 7 o'clock? <clears throat> Excuse me. We didn't start at 7.10. We didn't start at 7.30. We started at 7 o'clock, and what did we do? We began to celebrate. I asked the praise team and the band, when you come together, lead us in a celebratory song to start with. I mean, open up heaven. Let's praise. Let's shout. Let's dance. Let's have a great time. I want there to be freedom, expressions of joy. Uh, I want you to sing with joy. Uh, open your eyes and sing with joy and have lots of exuberance because how can I be up here trying to lead you in worship if I look like I have rug burn on my chin and have been crying all day? Come on now. There are sometimes you got to turn that frown upside down and begin to worship God and remember the purpose of why you are here. And when we come together in a corporate gathering like this, we come to celebrate God's presence in worship. The second 
the thing we do is we believe in our mission, which is evangelism, where we're communicating God's word. We're preaching the gospel. We're teaching the gospel. We're going in all the world with the message of hope. And we are communicating God's word through evangelism. <clears throat> Thirdly, excuse me, is membership. Membership is where we incorporate God's family into our fellowship. And of course, we do that on a spiritual sense, and we do that in a practical sense. If you are a born-again believer, and you attend this church, and this is where your home is, you attend here, you support here, uh, then you're already considered, as a Christian, a spiritual member of the church. Now, obviously, we like to take people through our next steps process so we can bring you then also into the practical side of membership. But if this is your home, somebody say home, then you are a member of the house. And so our purpose is to incorporate God's family, people who have come to know Christ, and bring them into fellowship. Then there's number four, maturity. A lot of what we're doing tonight and what we do in small groups is we educate God's people through discipleship. Now, the Bible teaches us in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 that we're to go into all the world and to make disciples. So I am a disciple making disciples. I am a disciple maker while I am still yet always a disciple in process. So I have a responsibility to come to a place of maturity in my own life. I can't wait for the pastor to do it for me. I can't wait for the deacons to do it for me. can't wait for uh, anybody online to do it for me. <clears throat> I have to do it for myself. I have to grow up. I give you permission tonight if you want it. Look over to your neighbor. You've been wanting to say it and say it's time to grow up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, we come to number five, and that is ministry. Ministry is where we demonstrate God's love through service. When you walked in tonight, you saw ushers and greeters who were demonstrating God's love through service. They were serving you. If you had children that you placed in children's ministry tonight, when you took your child to Little Village in the nursery, they were people there to receive your, your family member and serve you. That's service. So we are demonstrating God's love through what? Service. It's more than just talking about it. It's about serving. So when you consider five purposes that we've been preaching since, 2000, since 1999 here, you also have to consider the results that come from each purpose. Because each purpose has a result. Every person and every purpose that we have in our church has a desired result. We definitely want to achieve results. But results don't just happen on their own. If you want to achieve results, there must be a plan of action that is implemented in order to bring results. Whether that is to this corporate family or whether that is into your home or your business or whatever. When you work the plan, the purpose. When you work the plan, then you can expect to see the results. And Paul was teaching us the same principle in Galatians chapter 6. He said it this in verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. How many of you realize that we have to know what kind of seed we are planting? When Be Beverly just planted a garden, <coughs> excuse me, one of those raised gardens in our backyard, and she planted cucumbers, and she planted bell peppers, and she planted tomatoes. Now, what would have happened? Had when we gone to Lowe's and picked out our plants, had we someone switched the tags? And when we got back and planted them, we left the tag in the soil next to the plant, so because we're not good enough to remember what it is. 
that we would know, hey, that's what this is supposed to be. But how many know if somebody switched the tags that it can mess up what you are planting? You have to know what seed you are sowing. Are you here? Paul said, whatever a man sows, he will reap whatsoever. Say that with me, whatsoever. In other words, whatever you sow, that's what you will grow. Whatever you sow, that's what you will grow. You want results. So Bethel Family Worship Center is specific to plant the right kind of seed or to focus on a specific purpose because we are after a desired result. Our purpose is not just to come together and have meat, eat, and greet. Our purpose is not to be satisfied with us four and no more. Our purpose is not to be satisfied with only receiving the preaching and then doing nothing with the word of God that has been sown. Our purpose is more than just being satisfied with going through the motions. Our purpose is to celebrate Jesus. Our purpose is to become a worshiper, a a devotional, intimate follower of Jesus who will praise God, whether I'm in the grocery store or whether I'm in my truck or wherever I am, that I am a worshiper, not just on this pew in front of you, but I'm a worshiper in my prayer closet. I'm a worshiper in my car. I'm a worshiper when I have my family with me. My purpose is to worship. Our purpose is to spread the gospel to all all the world. Thank God for the internet. We are sharing the gospel, a global gospel word all around the world. Our purpose is to bring people into the fellowship who will help us tell the blessed story of Jesus Christ. Our purpose is to train them once we get them here so that they can rise up and fulfill the call of God that is upon their life and then we will take the city of Indianapolis with a demonstration of love. Everybody say love. And in order to do those things, we have to focus on training and we have to focus on implementation. Let it be said of Bethel Family Worship Center that we are a healthy church, that we are a balanced church, a training church, a worshiping church, a discipled church, a friendly church. Somebody said, well, I'm just trying to find a perfect church. Well, we are not that. And if you're looking for the perfect church, you're in the wrong place. People say, well, I'm just trying to find the perfect church. It won't be when you get there. Because none of us are perfect. Are you here? But we are a good church. And I want to draw your attention this evening to that one of the purposes that we've just discussed, and that is worship. Say worship. Worship is where we magnify God. We're called to love the Lord with all of our blood-pumping muscle. Also known as the heart. We are to worship the Lord with our whole heart. And so the word that describes this purpose is worship. The church exists that we may worship God. So how do we love God with all of our heart? We express that love in a manifested way of worship. We are the only people on the planet who sing love songs to their God. Their risen Savior. Their living God. We're the only people on the planet that can worship a living God. And we begin to express our worship the very best way we know with our song, with our sound, with our expressions. Sometimes our hands raise up. Sometimes our voice begins to get loud. Sometimes tears begin to fall 
off of our face. Sometimes our leg just gets loose like this and we get excited and, and there's great exuberance that begins to happen. You know, in the early church that I grew up, Pentecostal in the church that I grew up in, and if you had a, a Holy Ghost hoedown, I mean people running the aisles and running into church furniture and, and backward handsprings. I'm talking people doing all kinds of stuff. You would say, well, we had a move of God tonight. And really what we were basing that off of was the expressions or the manifestations of people's flesh. Come on, somebody. And I want to say to you, we are not a flesh-driven church. We are a spirit-driven church. But when the Spirit of God is evident in your life and the Spirit of God moves upon you like God did when he breathed upon the face of the waters and the move of God and the Spirit of God came, something in you will begin to respond. You will begin to worship him with song. You might begin to worship him with dance. You might begin to worship him in tongues. You might worship him jumping up and down. You might take a run. I don't know, but somehow or another, your flesh will respond in worship to him. And I know it depends sometimes on where you're at and who you're with. Because if I am a full gospel, spirit-filled, Holy Ghost-baptized believer, obviously I am sensitive not only to the Spirit of Christ, but I am sensitive to the moving of the Spirit of God and the manifestation of gifts that come to us, all nine that the apostle talks about in 1 Corinthians. And so I have all of those at my disposal that when the Spirit of God moves me, He might unction me to use one of those gifts. But I dare say to you this, it will be done through a spirit of worship. Not a spirit of anger. God don't give you angry tongues. There used to be a lady we went to church with. She would bring forth a tongue during the service and an angry interpretation. She was basically, tell, God was telling everybody they were all going to hell. That's the kind of tongue interpretation she brought. And after she get done, you see the Bible says when you get done using your gift, everybody ought to be edified. Man, when she got done speaking, I wanted to crawl under the pew. So we worship him with our gifts. And it doesn't matter if we're by ourselves with a small group of people in an auditorium, wherever it is, we express our love to God and we worship. Matthew 4 and 10 said, Then shall Jesus said to Satan, It is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall you serve. Even God told the devil, you can only worship me and only, only can you worship the Lord God. And so throughout scripture, we're commanded to celebrate God's presence by magnifying the Lord and exalting him. David said in the book of Psalms, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us glorify or let us exalt his name together. We are never off duty when it comes to worship. We are never off duty. We should worship. God because we want to. We should worship God because we are expressing our love to our Savior. When we work for God enthusiastically, we are turning our work into worship and we're praising God. Say this with me. Worship while you work. Back to our text in the book of Philippians. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's read this again. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And verse 9, wherefore God also, have highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, in this passage that we've read, all the way from verse 5 up into verse 13, there are six things that pop out. And I want you to jot these down that are embedded in this particular passage. First of all, the scriptures revealed, number one, the heart of Jesus. And that is found in verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. This is the heart of Jesus. He did not go around bragging on himself. He did not go around name dropping. <clears throat> he was not going around trying to say, I know so-and-so and I'm related to so-and-so. He didn't try to network. He wasn't selling Amway. He wasn't doing any of that kind of stuff. All he did was walk in miracle power. All he did was be who God created him to be. He took on from the form of God to the form of a servant, according to our text. And through that, he made himself of no reputation. But we're living in a time now where everybody wants to have a title. Everybody wants to have a name. Everybody wants to have a following. Pastor, do we need any help in the church? Yes, we do. We need somebody to mow the yard. We need somebody to uh, work in the nursery. I'm just throwing examples out there. We need somebody to do this. We need somebody to do that. And it's only then when you find out if a person is willing to work that they have the heart to say, I don't have to be seen. I don't have to have my name in the bulletin. I don't have to have a dream team spotlight. You don't have to give me a gift card. I'll serve when no one's looking. I'll serve because it's in my nature to serve. Don't got anybody that understands what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to build a reputation. I'm not trying to shake hands with the right people at the right time. I don't have to sit in the front row. I can sit in the back row and still the Holy Ghost can use me in a profound way. I don't have to have a, a reputation. And when people come to me and I can tell pretty quickly who is in it for the show and who is in it because they love God. Had a husband and wife come to me, told me they felt the call of God upon their life. They said, Pastor, we'd like to have a meeting with you. And I met with them and they came in. We started talking. And this sister told me that since a child, <clears throat> she told me that she felt like God had put a calling on her life. Now, when someone tells you that they have a calling on their life, that's a very diverse subject. Because we are all called... <laughs> So I, you have to know what God is specifically saying to you. But the process of getting to the fulfillment of that calling is a journey through many villages, through time and dispensations. You may, God may call you, and you may sense a profound distinction of the Lord on your life. But many times we delay the calling because we're not plugged in where we're supposed to be. Serving and growing and grooming and letting God begin to use us and shape us and deal with our attitude. Deal with our lateness. Deal with our laziness. Oh, it's real quiet in here. Deal with some of our personality quirks. Deal with our anger issues. Deal with our addictions. Yeah, we called, but there's a process in fulfilling the call of God in our life. Yes, he can use a broken vessel. Yes, he can use me because in my weakness, he becomes strong. But there is a process of saying, God, take me to where you want me to serve and I'll do whatever it is and I don't need any recognition. And while I was talking to this couple, she said to me, the lady said to me, Pastor, what is it that you need us to do? We are willing to do anything. And at that time, we needed janitorial help. We needed somebody to come after work and sweep the carpets and clean the bathrooms. And I said, sis, right now, we need someone to come and clean the restrooms between, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And she looked at me. I kid you not. And she looked at me and she said, I don't do restrooms. She had just told me, I want to be used in the ministry. I want to do something for the Lord. I have a call of God on my life. Hey, yeah. 
Most of the time that means give me a microphone and let me practice on the people. I said, well, we need help in the bathroom. She said, I don't do restrooms. And I looked back at her and I said, you told me everything I needed to know. I want you to understand, Jesus made himself of no reputation. He wasn't trying to see where he could be seen. A lot of times the greatest work of ministry is done behind the scenes when nobody sees. Second thing that popped out to me in this passage is his attitude. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He had the right attitude. You can tell if people got the right attitude or not, right? You ever seen somebody and they're just giving you the stink eye and they're pooching their lips and popping their teeth and snapping and doing this with their neck and giving you like, I dare you to preach to me. I dare you to bless me. Y'all should try it sometime. Y'all should just try switching spots with me sometime. Jesus had a heart. He had an, uh, the right attitude. He took upon himself the form of a servant. I will serve. Thirdly, what popped out to me was his lifestyle because the Bible said that he was made in the likeness of men. He identified with us because he was made in the likeness of men. Therefore, he could be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. He could be acquainted with our sorrow and our grief. He was in the likeness of men. And so he had this lifestyle that he lived that was in the likeness of people. And number four, what stood out to me was his results. In verse 8, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death. And you think about it, his heart, his attitude, his lifestyle brought forth results that pushed him into a place of humility. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. You don't know um, what you'll do until God begins to deal with you about humility. Are you able to humble yourself? Are you able to not get the last word in? Are you able to yield to someone else when their decisions say, let's go to Longhorn instead of Texas Roadhouse? Are you willing to yield to that? Come on, smile. Are you willing to say, you know, that's okay, that's okay, whatever you want to do. It takes a lot of humility to be able to humble yourself. And that's just a funnier way of saying it. But humility comes in many, you have many times that you will be presented with the opportunity to pass the test of humility. Can you pass the test of humility? Here was the next thing that popped out was in verse 10, his desire for us when he said to us that every knee should bow and that every tongue should confess in verse 10 and 11. It was like God was saying, this, I want you to understand, I'm trying to get you to a place where you will come to the acknowledgement that every tongue will confess and every voice will confess that I am Lord. Which then brings us to this invitation all the way back in verse 5 when he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So Paul is writing all of this about the heart of Jesus, his attitude, his high style, his results, his desire, and his invitation. This is what I want you to write down. Servanthood always begins with a choice to serve. You'll be given a choice to serve. Husbands, you're given a choice to serve your wife and your children. Wives, you're given a choice to serve your husband or your children. You're given a choice to serve your employer. You're given a choice to serve people who have given you an opportunity. The difference between a servant and a slave is the right choice. We were in Brazil and they asked Pastor Wayne, the question when we, him and I were on a panel discussion and asked him about this particular uh, subject and wanted to know uh, what, uh, when it come to serving, how could you tell if a person uh, was in the right mode of serving? And Pastor Wayne spoke up and said, by their motivation. What is it that motivates them to serve? Is it, am I serving to get something? Am I serving to uh, build my repertoire? Am I building my uh, portfolio? 
Am I serving so that I can put another notch in my belt? Or am I serving because my heart is to see the kingdom of heaven advance and wherever God needs me in the, in the road that I'm traveling, then I'll do and be what he wants me to be. In one town, I might be a janitor. In the next town, I might be a, a, the grocery clerk. In the next town, I might be the mayor. It doesn't matter where I serve just as long as the motivation of my serving is correct. I have a choice on where I will serve. I will serve wherever I'm asked, whenever I'm asked, and do it with a great spirit and a great heart. So the difference between a slave and a servant is choice. You have a choice. And Paul emphasized how the Lord Jesus left an incomparable glory in heaven and came and took upon himself the humiliation of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He served with humility. There are eight things, eight principles of servanthood I give you before I close tonight. Eight principles of servanthood that I want to share. Number one, Jesus never considered his position. Remember what we said in verse six, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Do you know that there are so many people that are so concerned on their image? They're more concerned about their image than they are the results. And so they, they look at serving as a step down rather than a step up. Character and image are different. Character is who you really are when no one else is watching. Image is who you think you are. Image is we, what we want other people to see. Image is what we find ourselves trying to live up to because we want acceptance from people. Jesus knew who he was and because he knew who he was, he was able to bow down and serve. His position never clouded his mission. He knew who he was. When I was in Dallas, Texas a few weeks ago for Evangelist Rogers' funeral, one of the things that they said that stood out to me was her ability to serve the body of Christ. She could serve in T.D. Jakes' meetings in Dallas at Woman Thou Art Loose and preach to 40,000 women at one time in person and then come to Indianapolis and preach to about six or 700 of us at the same time or go to a little church that has 10 people and preach the same same way with the same anointing because her position never clouded her mission. She took up on herself the form of a servant. And I like what they said. She just snatched her little ponytail back and come on in and just preach. She didn't have a hat that went all the way to the ceiling. She didn't, nothing wrong with the hat. She didn't have a big entourage of people. She showed up. I remember one time we had advertised our meeting. She was going to be preaching here and we sent an armor bearer over to the airport to pick her up and they were looking at the picture on the flyer and thought that was her she come out with a big ponytail in her head and they said I don't see her anywhere I said just hold the sign up she'll find you they come to church and said pastor she didn't look nothing like that flyer you know why because she wasn't trying to put on a big to do for nobody she just walked in with the power of the Holy Ghost because she knew her position you can't get so caught up in a title I'm an elder, I'm a deacon, I'm a pastor, I'm a bishop. So what? What results are coming out of the fruit of your labor? Don't let your position cloud your mission. Secondly, Jesus was unconcerned with his reputation. And I hit on this. How many times do we disobey God because we are afraid about what someone is going to think about us? There are many people who become paralyzed by public opinion, fear of being ostracized or labeled, fear of being rejected by friends and strangers. The Bible said that Jesus emptied himself. He laid aside his heavenly glory. You know what he was doing? He was emptying himself of his position. You remember in the conversation that he had with his father in the book of John where he said, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work that you called me 
me to do. I have emptied myself. I've done everything that you have asked of me. Not only that, but he emptied himself of his position and then he emptied himself of his rights. He said, I can do no thing in my own glory. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but I seek the will of the Father who has sent me in John chapter 5 and verse 30. He emptied himself of his rights. He who came from glory, who stepped out of nothing until something came, walked across the Milky Way, entered into our atmosphere, and arrived in the form of a fleshly man. He emptied himself of his rights. He said, of myself, I can do nothing. Not us. We're entitled. They owe me. Thirdly, he emptied himself of his riches. It's not on PowerPoint. His position, his rights, and then his riches. For Paul said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. That through his poverty, you might be rich. Rich with what? Grace. <laughs> Eternal life. He emptied himself of his riches. And fourthly, he emptied himself of his divine attributes. Because the Bible said, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister to others and give his life a ransom for many. He emptied himself. The third thing I like about this passage is that Jesus chose to identify with man's needs and serve them. But the Bible says he took on himself the form of a servant. He emptied himself. You know, it wasn't, it, it not only meant a voluntary restraint, I mean, of his capacities, his privileges, but it was also an acceptance. He emptied himself some stuff and then he accepted suffering. He accepted misunderstanding. He accepted ill treatment. He accepted betrayal. He accepted hatred. And he finally accepted the death on the cross. There are people who view the same situation in different ways. In this world, some people have apathy. Where they just don't care about anything or anyone. We are living in that time right now. And then there are other people who have sympathy. They care, but they don't do anything about it. And then God is looking for those, I believe, who have empathy. They care and identify with hurting people, and then they move into action to meet that need. That's what Jesus did. He identified with the needs. I'm thankful for our care ministry and our prayer ministry and those of you in the body of Christ who do not wait to be called upon, when you know there's a need, you rush to it and pray with people and minister to people because you identify the needs and you serve. The fourth thing I love what Jesus did in Paul's writing here is that he humbled himself. Found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Humility, listen to this, humility is self-inflicted. It's self-inflicted. God will not humble us. He told us to humble ourselves. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And then he said, I would exalt you in due time. How do you, how do you humble yourself? Now, it's not that God can't humble you. But God told you first, humble yourself. Look at somebody and say, go ahead, brother humble. Go ahead, sister humble. You need to join a singing group called the Humble Heirs. How, how can I humble myself? Humility begins when we die to ourselves and we live for other people. We die to ourselves and live for other people. Humility grows when we depend on God and not our own strength. Humility is a result of loving other people and putting them first. That's self-inflicted humility. Jesus was asked by his disciples who would be the greatest in the kingdom, and he answered them with an example of humility. 
And the Bible tells us the story in Matthew chapter 18, and he really, he just focused on children. The whole part of that passage was that you must become like one of these children. Jesus said, unless we become like a little child, we cannot even enter into the kingdom. A child. I can't believe they're having BBS on Wednesday night. They know that's my night to get my praise on. Are you for real? Some people aren't even consistently faithful themselves and want to complain because we did VBS on a Wednesday night. Now, nobody brought that to my attention, but I just want to smash the devil's toe while I'm here. Children is where the investment should be. Come on, somebody. You're already saved. Now, it, it, it amazes me the number of people that say, well, they didn't sing my song. Who cares if they sing your song? You should have already sang your song in your car on your way here. When we come together, it ain't about you. We're not singing to you anyway. You missed a good spot right there, brother. Children. Children are not worried about public opinion. You want to know, listen, if you don't want your business told, You be very careful what you say to children. In our kids' city in Kidsville, they're giving prayer requests like you won't believe. They're telling all your business. I tell the story of little Donna Roop, who was in our dad's church. And mom and daddy had two little girls, Donna and Amanda. And my mom and dad's church, a little smaller church in, in Canal Fulton. I remember when I was sitting there on the piano, and dad, we were having prayer request time, and he saw Donna raise her hand and was... That her dad and mom and two little girls and I don't know if it was a Sunday morning and and uh, he called on her and she raised her hand her dad sitting there she goes pray for my dad he's been a cussing <laughs> you missed that opportunity <laughs> Jesus said if you don't become like one of these little children through humility then you can't even enter into the kingdom of God. Children are totally dependent on, God, on someone else. Here's the fifth thing. I have to hurry. Jesus became obedient. The Bible said he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so the first measure of greatness is found in Matthew 5 and 19, where he talks about the greatest and the least in the kingdom. And he said, whoever is the least shall be the greatest. So if obedience is our motive and humility is our attitude, then serving will be our action. Let me say it again. If obedience is my motive and humility is my attitude, then serving will be my action. So that's what a servant leader is. They walk in humility and they walk in obedience and they serve wherever. Number six, God does the promotion. In verse 9, Paul would say that God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. God is the God of promotion. He's the one that can put you up, and he's the one that can take you down. It's, promotion don't come uh, from the east, the west, or the north, or the south, but it is God that puts one up and sets another down. God is the only one that can do the promoting. And this is what I love about this passage is God give him a name that he might be highly exalted. Listen, God wants to promote us in season and in time, and he is not position-minded, he is service-motivated. When we serve, he brings us on in. When we have this position of entitlement, bless God, my family's been in this church for 25 years. Listen, it doesn't have nothing to do with it. If God puts you in a place and the Holy Spirit is flowing and you are walking in humility and obedience and you are serving wherever he planted you, whether it's glamorous or whether it's gross, if you'll serve with all your heart, God will put you in a place that man couldn't even put you in. He'll promote you. I shared with you a few weeks ago that God used a father in my life to open doors for me. He put spiritual fathers in your life 
who believe in you and invest in you and your humility towards them and you're serving them. When, when, when I was working with Pastor Hill uh, as his youth pastor, you know how proud I was to carry his Bible? He had one of these huge Bibles. It was as big as a family Bible uh, and a big leather, big leather wrap around. I mean, that thing was, it was ten, 10 tons. It was so heavy. I care, but it was a joy just to carry the man of God's Bible and walk with him wherever he was preaching or wherever he was serving. This is what I'm talking about. Walking in humility, it will put you in a posture of service and doors will open wide for you. Elisha received double portion from Elijah because 10 plus years he was known as the water boy. He just kept pouring water. He just kept serving everybody. Number seven. We realize that everyone is on a different level with God. We're all on a different level. I can't sit with my high fluent and nose in the air and look at you and say, Oh, you're only this far along, huh? Mm-hmm. We're all on a different level. This is why the Bible said that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have to learn how to avoid judgmentalism. And Lord knows in the church, there's a lot of people. Don't let anybody look at nobody. Just look at me right now. There's a lot of people who are judgmental. I remember growing up in the early church. You know, the ladies didn't cut their hair. The ladies didn't wear earrings. The ladies didn't wear makeup. Well, it was always on the ladies, wasn't it? Come on. Men folk just did what they want. Oh, my. I'm preaching. Stay out of my preaching. This is my message. I came from this. I came from this. I can preach about it. And there are some people, they just look you up and down like this. You go out to Denny's after church and run into some people, and they'd be looking at you like this. As if they've just arrived. How many have ever encountered a spirit like that? You ever run into anybody that just, they're just so spiritual? They just, you know, and you're just dirt. And you just feel like you don't fit in. Honey, let me tell you, you already fit. You don't need their approval. Ah! You know, the people will say, well, judge not lest you be judged. That's true. When you start judging someone else's spirituality, you bring condemnation upon yourself. You have to be careful not to have a critical spirit where you start judging people and then you start comparing yourself and through your comparisons you start making justifications. The Bible says that when we compare ourselves with ourselves, we're not wise. So we can't judge people. Now, here's the only exception that I've found. I believe you can make a righteous judgment if you yourself are willing to come under that same judgment. Because doesn't the Bible say you will know a tree by the fruit it bears? I believe so. And if you can live under that judgment yourself, you can make a righteous judgment. But even then, your humility will be in check. You won't be walking around with a high opinion of yourself and a low opinion of someone else. Because you would know there go I, but by the grace of God. He kept me. So we're not to compare ourselves with other people. The Bible says, work out your own salvation. Look at your neighbor and say, I found your nose. It was in my business again. (laughs) It was all about my business. Here's number eight. As I close on this one, God is doing the work in us and through us. What does the Bible say in verse 13? It is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he's doing a work in me so he can do a work through me. I believe God will give you both the desire and the the ability to become the servant he wants you to be even in this house. Where do you want me to serve, Lord? Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you would have me to do. Let me ask you a question. If you knew what the will of God was for your life, would you do it?
If you knew what the will of God was for your life, would you do it? Father, I just pray now for every person here who's like me, I believe, God, we're running after you, chasing after you, serving, loving, stumbling sometimes, don't always have the right attitude, but we're being conformed into your image. Just as you took on the form of a servant, that we would also take on the form of a servant. When you wash the feet of your disciples, it's because serve is what you do. That you divested yourself and began to wash your disciples' feet with your girdle. I wish I had time to preach about the linen and the girdle. Those represent, the linen represents righteousness. disciples and then there was that proud one in the bunch oh you you're not gonna wash my feet Lord and Jesus said if I don't wash your feet you don't have any part with me look at me for a moment I want you to hear this thank you for revelation Jesus said to his disciples the one who said well, you're not gonna wash my feet you don't let me wash your feet, you will not have any part with me. Notice he did not say you would not have any part in me because it wasn't a salvation thing. He said you will have no part with me, which means the flow of ministry. You got to learn to do what I'm doing, he said. If you don't do what I'm doing, you can't flow with me. If you don't do what I'm doing, you don't flow with me. He didn't say you had no part in me. He said you didn't have no part with me. I don't have time to preach on that. But you've got to catch the concept of it. He got down and humbled himself and took on the form. He was in the form of God and became the form of a servant. And then he tells us that we must do the same, that we must serve. So my heart for Bethel Family Worship Center for your house, my house our family is to serve where can I serve put me in coach, I'm ready where can I serve where can I serve so now let's pray Father, touch the hearts of your people touch us in our mind that we might think right that we not compare ourselves with anyone else, no matter how long we've been saved or in the church or in the way Help us to come to that place of God. Your mercies fail not. They're new every morning. I have grace that's been given to me that would accompany the gift that has been entrusted to me. The grace gifts would flow. The charismata, the charis gifts would begin to flow into every gift and every assignment of my life. And as I serve, I serve with humility. Not puffed up. Not arrogant. Not, I'm, I'm too good to do this and that. Never would it come out of our mouth, I don't do toilets. God, I'll serve you wherever the need is. Holy Spirit, speak to our heart here. Speak to our heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. He said if you humble yourself, he would exalt you. What do you believe in God for? Here's what I want to tell you. Everything that I have in Beverly and I have in our lives, we served our way to it. We served our way to everything we have. And found out that we still don't have anything unless we have Him. We absolutely dependent upon Jesus. Thank you, God, for your gifts for this congregation. Thank you for the talents that are in this house. Thank you how you're growing us. Our teams are expanding. We're coming out of this COVID situation. Some people have hit the reset button. Some people ghosted. 
God, I don't know where they are, but you know. God, we just all know that we're supposed to be where we're supposed to be and do what we're supposed to do. God, I want to thank you for the old-time saints of Hebrew 11, the Hall of Faith chapter. The people who didn't have to be encouraged, they just did it. They didn't have to be sugar-coated. They didn't have to have anybody give them a pep talk before the game. They just stayed all the way in. And you said in your scriptures, whom the world was not even worthy of them. Because many of them died before they ever saw the promise come to pass. They were looking ahead in faith. God, let our people at Bethel Family Worship Center, let it be known of this house that we are a servant people. We serve with excellence and we serve because our motivation is to please you. Oh, yes, if we find favor with man, we're thankful. But if we find favor with you, then, Lord, we're blessed. God, open up doors for your people today. God, there are people here waiting on promotions. They're looking to start businesses. There are people in part of this congregation who have networked with us here that we're praying and fasting for, that they will see their dreams come to pass. And God, I pray that we will all take upon ourselves the form of a servant. Hallelujah. Take a moment there and just begin to talk to God as they lead us in Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 